If you'll grab your Bibles there um, and turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 6, um, verses 19 through 24. And if you, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there should be one underneath your chair there. And um, in those Bibles, it's going to be page 811, 8, 811. Um, my name is John Chesting, and I am one of the pastors here. And it is a joy to be able to share with you today as we continue our series on Why Jesus Matters. Um, for many of you that have been with us, we've been in this series since back in, in April, um, really asking the question, why does Jesus matter today? I mean, what, what's the big deal with Jesus? And we've been hitting many topics, and basically, we've been pulling many texts out of the Gospels um, about the sayings of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, and, and we're going to continue that today in Matthew. Um, and so as you're turning there, many of you know that on most weekends, you can find me serving guests at P.F. Chang's China Bistro in Cambridge, Massachusetts. In fact, many of you have, have come there and I have served you. Last night, my mother-in-law and her friends um, were there, and, and that's been a blessing. Um, but here's why I bring that up. I get to see what many people do with money. I mean, my whole interaction there, it's not just about food. I mean, obviously we're serving food, but with able, every table, there is a financial exchange. For food, you've got to pay for food. Um, and then along with that, it, there comes a, a tip that is not required, but, you know, uh, encouraged. And so I see, I see a lot of different things as I reflect there and as I serve. For instance, you know, many tables that I serve, there is this war over who's going to pay the bill. Have you ever been in one of these, you know, no, I'm going to pay for it. No, give me, you know, sometimes it's like they're fighting and I'm, I've got to choose, you know, which card I'm going to take. Um, some tables um, we see um, specific as it relates to tips. Many tables are very generous. But then there are others that tip. What? You're supposed to tip? What? This service isn't free. Um, yeah, I see all kind of different financial ex exchanges there. For instance, the other night after the Bruins won and are headed to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yay, Bruins, come on. Um, we had some Bruin fans. I was closing. And it was like 11.30, 11.45, right before we were closing, roll in there. And so I've got two tables, basically, they're the whole restaurant, five, five people and four people. At the end of one of the mills, one of the Bruins fans, um, well, they were all Bruins fans, but they, they had a, a dessert came with their meal. And they decided, they said, I know this is going to sound weird, but we don't really, we're full, we don't want our dessert, we want to give it to this table next beside us. So, so I go over to this table, I'm like, I've got a free dessert for you. It's from this table right here. Um, and they were blown away by the generosity. They didn't know each other. Obviously, they're Bruin fans. I guess that's what Bruins fans do, you know. Um, but another example of how I see people, and you know what? I can learn a lot about people by watching how they use money. Not only people that come in and eat, I look at our servers. And how they react when they open up the check. So, you know, you come, you eat, you pay, and then you leave, and then we come back to the check. And, like, you know, this is behind the scenes. Nobody sees this. It's like, you know, everybody's pulling their check. Man, how much tip did I get? And there's the anticipation. The, what did I get? And to even see the different servers, their response to either generous tips or no tips at all. And what does their response even show me what they believe about money. We can watch people and learn a lot 
about money. You know what's astonishing when we come to Jesus in the Bible? Is that he has so much to say about money. Do you realize that, that, that 15% of everything, 15% of everything Jesus says relates to money in some way? That is more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. 15%. Which leads us to ask this question, why does Jesus talk so much about money? I mean, reflect with me. Here are some of the things that he says about money. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Luke 12, 15. Here's another one. Luke 14, 33. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What about Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Keep the commandments. He goes through. I've kept all of the commandments. Jesus says, one thing you lack. You know what he says to him? After this guy says, hey, I'm a, I'm a good guy. I keep all the commandments. Jesus says this. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have. Give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Do you know what the rich young ruler did? It says he went away sorrowful. For he had many possessions. Do you get this? He kept all the commandments. This is a a moral, a righteous kind of guy. But Jesus says, the reality is, is you love money more than you love the kingdom. And so after this response... This is what Jesus says. Jesus says with his disciples how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This is astounding. Jesus has much to say about money. Let me ask you this. Why is money so important? If Jesus is spending all this time talking about money, what is so important about money? Well, there's a fundamental connection between our finances and our faith. And we're going to explore this together. You see, so often we try to divorce these and say, I can spend however I want to spend, and it has no relation to what I believe about God. But Jesus says that's not the case. The way you spend money has a lot to do about your faith. And so as we come to Matthew here, as we've been studying, and last week Tanner preached on prayer and fasting, and the context there was you've got these righteous Pharisees, and they were fasting and praying. Their heart was to be seen by men. It was was hypocrisy. They said loud prayers, they gave in front of people, and they fasted, but they wanted the praise of man and not the praise of God. We're we're just continuing on as we look um, today, but but here's here's how this fits in. Matthew, when Jesus is teaching us that all of life, all of your attitudes and all of life is to be lived according to the perspectives of the kingdom. 
So as Jesus gathers his disciples around, here's kind of the central truth that we're going to explore today. Disciples reflect the values of the kingdom by using money in such a way that shows everyone that money is not their treasure. God is. Did you get that? Disciples reflect the values of the kingdom by showing everyone and the way they use money that money is not their treasure. God is. And so look look here with me in the text in Matthew chapter 6 as I read through it. Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so what Jesus gives us here, we have have three metaphors here as as he teaches on money and possessions. We've got the idea of treasures, storing up treasures. Then in the middle section we have the, the, the metaphor of an eye and a lamp giving light to the body. And then the last section we're going to look at is is the slave owner imagery. You've got a master and you've got a servant and the relations there between money and and between God. So I want to share with you three truths. The first truth that I want us to see together in the first few verses here is that we are to invest completely in eternity. Invest completely in eternity eternity. Look at the text with me as we reflect. He begins, do not lay up for yourselves treasures. Really, we could say, we could read it this way. Instead of do not lay up treasures, it could just simply be stop storing up treasures. Stop. Instead of don't do it, you are doing it. You need to stop. Stop laying up treasures. And what are treasures on earth? What is he referring to here? Stop laying up treasures on earth. Well, he's basically speaking of anything which is perishable or that can be lost in one's life in one way or another. So, for instance, what does moth destroy? Clothing, maybe? Maybe for to clothes? What about rust? Many of you can, can probably relate to many things over your years. The older you are, you've probably seen rust and the effects of that more than some of us younger guys like me. I'm just kidding with you. Um, we see the effects of creation. Things in creation don't evolve into something more complex. They break down things in creation. So anything in this life, possessions, anything you have, you can reflect. And, and we see rust destroys. He could also even be referring to things like, like mildew and how it could destroy things. What about rats, animals, anything that we have here? And, and what about this? What if you have something that can't be destroyed? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's something out there, you know, that's, man, this is indestructible. Well, it can be stolen. Isn't that what Jesus says? It's either going to be destroyed or some thief is going to break in 
instill it. Do not store up treasures on earth. Now, Jesus isn't saying these things are bad. They're not bad. What is the main issue he's getting at? The problem is, is they won't last. That's the issue. Don't store up treasures because you can't take them with you. They will not last. And notice this. It's not, he doesn't say might here. It's not that they might be lost or they might be destroyed. They will always be lost. Anything that you have on this earth will always, you'll either lose it or it'll be destroyed while you're living or when you die, it will be lost. You cannot and you will not take it with you. No exceptions. After John D. Rockefeller died, very um, wealthy man, someone asked his accountant, said this, how much money did John D. leave? Do you know what the accountant replied? He left all of it. He didn't take any of it with him. You, you can be the most wealthiest person, but you will not and you cannot take it with you. Solomon got this. I want us to reflect here in Ecclesiastes. Solomon, one of the richest kings ever to live. Reflect with me here through these verses that Solomon, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes. Look at what he says here. In Ecclesiastes 5, beginning in verse 10, it says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. What's the point here? He's saying the more you have, the more you will want. And the more you have, the less you'll be satisfied. He continues on, verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? In other words, the more you have, the more people will come after what you have. Verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. The rich will not sleep. Why? The more you have, the more you have to worry about. Verse 13. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. To his hurt. The more you have, the more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. Look at verse 14. And those riches were lost in a bad venture, and he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. The more you have, the more you have to lose. And then in verse 15. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toll that he may carry away in his hand. The more you have, the more you will leave behind. Reflect with me for a moment. May 21st, 2011. Where were you? We can know. This is the day, supposedly, of the rapture. We're all still here. Six o'clock was the time, Eastern Standard Time, May 21st, 2011. Supposedly, the rapture is going to happen. Let me ask you this. It's 559. What are your gut feelings? What's going on? I was having dinner with my in-laws. 
at a great barbecue place in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Was that, if, if the rapture would have come, would that have been a, a delight? Or was that a, or was there fear? Man, if this really happens, what, what was going on at your gut level? Now, just so you understand, that, that was not us promoting that, and we have no, um, we, we believe Jesus says that no one knows the time or hour. We know he is returning. Um, but the reality is, is, as we think about the return of Christ, what, what emotions does that stir up in you? Let me ask you this. Why do so many Christians fear or dread the thought of leaving this world? Why? You know why? Because they've stored up their treasures on earth and not heaven. This is the reality. Do not stop storing up treasures on the earth because you can't take them with you. And so one of the great books that's been written on this issue is by Randy Alcorn. It's called The Treasure Principle. And he basically, this is his treasure principle. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. So there's good news. It's not just don't store up treasures. He says you can send it ahead. So as we continue on in the text, he doesn't just talk about not storing up treasures on earth. Jesus is very much interested in storing up treasures. He wants you to store up treasures. He's not telling you to, hey, stay away from treasures. His purpose is that you store up in the right place. And so as we continue on, the second Second kind of part of this is not just stop, but make sure you're storing up in the right place. Store up heavenly treasures because they have eternal value. Jesus has a treasure mentality. What are treasures in heaven? Treasures in heaven refer to anything, whatever is good, and eternal significance that comes from what's done on earth. So I want you to see he's not just talking about money. And the reality is this whole text here, is not basically about money, as we're going to see in a second. It's about what values are you pursuing with your life? And where you store up treasures reveal what life is about to you. But there's one big assumption here. And I don't know where everybody's at today, but the big assumption is that there's actually a heaven. If you're here today and you're kind of exploring Christianity... This probably may not make sense to you, right? If there's no heaven, why would I store up treasures in heaven? This is all there is. You know what? That is the mindset of many of the people that we live with, that this is it. And if this is it, let's live and let's gather and collect as much as we can. But if we're going to come to the understanding that this isn't it, that there is something bigger, that there is a God, and that this is temporal, and there is an eternity, and there is a heaven... Well, then it would make sense that, man, eternity in heaven can, is Im immense compared to my few years here on earth. And so let's just think about it. What about the cost-to-benefit ratio? If you were to go and sit down with a financial investment advisor, what are they going to tell you? You're sitting down with them, and you're going you're gonna to prepare for a retirement. Maybe you've done this recently. Maybe you work at Bank of America and you do this as for your job, as many that are connected with us do. Um, they're going to sit down with you, and they're going to talk about investments, and they're going to say, hey, don't look at the three-month 
Don't even look at three years. You want to look big picture. You want to think 30 years from now, investing in the long haul. It's slow, gradual, and it's going to compound interest over the long term. So start young, be continual, and that is what will bear fruit in the long run. Now, Jesus, the ultimate financial advisor, do you know what he says? This is his advice. He takes it even further. He says, don't ask how your investment will pay off in just 30 years. Ask how it will be paying off in 30 million years. You see the point? Think eternally. This is what life is about. D.A. Carson, one of my favorite authors, says this, It is a poor bargain which exchanges the eternal for the temporary, regardless of how much tinsel is used to make the temporary more attractive. He says it's a poor bargain. So what does it look like to store up treasures in heaven? I'm going to spend a few moments here. We'll pick it back up later on. But here are a few verses I put on the screen for us to reflect. What does it look like to store up treasures in heaven? In Luke 12, verses 30 and verses 33, Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that do not, that does not fail. How do you store up treasures in heaven that does not fail? Give to the needy. Now, before you misunderstand me, there are many good things that we should use money for. As we read through the scriptures, it is biblical to provide for your family. You ought to use money to take care of your family. God provides money to meet our needs. As, as I shared a few weeks ago on the passage right after this on do not worry, it says trust. God knows you need these things. Don't worry about your clothing, what you will eat, what you will drink. God knows you need them. There are many good things that we're to spend money on. As we'll talk in a few moments on even saving. But Jesus says here, give. Give to the needy. You see, if you can't take it with you, the only way you can store up treasures in heaven is to invest it in kingdom values. So give to the needy. Who are the needy around you? Who are those that you can help meet the needs of right now? Here's another verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 19. Paul writes, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What is truly life? Is it gathering and collecting here? No, he says, what is truly life? Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Does this describe the attitude of your heart? This is what it looks like to store up treasures. I, lo I love what A.W. Tozer says here. He's got us a great quote. He says this, As a base thing, as base a thing as money is, often it yet can be transmuted into everlasting treasure. 
It can be converted into food for the hungry and clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the light of the gospel and thus transmute itself into heavenly values. Get this, any temporal possession can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. So store up treasures in heaven. This is what Jesus is begging. This is the best thing. If you want to to have treasure, store up in heaven. He continues on, though. Not only should we stop storing up treasures on earth and store up treasures in heaven, we should guard our hearts carefully. In verse 21 here, in, in wrapping up this first metaphor, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Also, you see, the whole point of what Jesus is talking about, it's not directly about money. It's what are what is your life about? What what are you aiming for in life? Here's the deal. The point is that the things most treasured occupy the heart. Let's think about our heart here for a second. It is the center of the personality, embracing the mind, the emotions, and the will. It controls the whole person's direction and values. Whatever controls your heart controls the whole direction of your life. It consumes your time. Think about it. You spend time planning your day, daydreaming. You want to achieve these goals, these values that your heart grabs, grabs a hold of. Your heart is going to move towards, and your whole direction will follow what your heart treasures. Let's just think about it for a second. Let's say I buy a boat to go ride down here in the Charles. I want to take some of my buddies out, right? Well, if I buy a boat, before I even buy a boat, you know what I do? I set my, once my eyes and my gaze get on a boat, then I lay in bed at night and I dream about what boat I want to get. I start searching the internet. I spend hours looking, studying, pursuing, and then I buy this boat and my heart is gravitating towards this boat and I spend all this money on this boat and then, well, if I've spent all this money on this boat, I've got to spend time in the boat, right? Or it's going to be a wasted treasure, so then I justify maybe missing a kid's game because I'm going to go out on the boat because I've put all this money here. Or I'm, I'm going to miss church more weekends out of the year because I've invested in this boat that I've, I've put this money in and I've got, to go, I've got to justify my expense for it. Money follows heart and heart follows money. Can you just think of something in your life that you have set your heart upon, you've put your money into, and it controls the whole direction of your life? The more you invest money in Jesus' mission on earth, the more you'll look forward to seeing everything come to fruition when he returns. Some of you may say, hey, I I want a greater heart for missions. Do you know the best thing you can do to have a greater heart for missions? Give. Put your money there. Because what happens is, you put your money in missions and in your church and the poor and your heart is going to follow it. 
So the reality is, man, I, I don't have a heart for missions. I don't have a heart for the church. Well, the reality is, your heart is following where you spend your money. And so what we could do is Jesus saying, hey, let's pull up your bank and your visa, visa card and let's go through your list and I can see where your heart is treasuring. It's where you're spending your money. It's going to follow naturally. Wherever you spend your money, your heart will follow. Guard your heart carefully. Second metaphor as we continue to move on here. Not only the treasures here, but we get to this picture of an eye and a lamp. And the second truth is this. Gaze at heaven with undivided attention. This is a, a tricky few verses here and not easy to explain. Um, so I want to walk through it and then I think it will help us out. The eye is the lamp of the body. When he's talking about the eye here, he's referring to the eye as your heart. Now what does a lamp, to, a lamp do? You many probably have a lamp in your bedroom. It gives light to the room. So you turn the lamp on and you can what? See to move about and do things in the room. If the lamp is dark, you're going to have trouble doing things in the room. So he's talking about how our, just look here for a second. The eye is how we see and it gives direction to our whole body. If I were to just put a blindfold on, I I would be useless. I couldn't walk down off the stage. I couldn't jam out on my conga drums back here. I mean, well, I probably could do that because that's not having to move too much. Um, but you, your eye gives direction to your body. In the same way that your eye gives direction to your body, your heart, whatever grips it, controls the rest of your body. Now, as we look here, he says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, this word healthy here can also mean single, undivided attention or undivided loyalty. So if the eye is, has a single purpose, uh, an undivided loyalty, your body will be full of life. He continues on, but if your eye is bad, in other words, what does it mean to have your eye bad? You have divided interest, divided money and God, because we're going to see here in a second, you cannot serve God in money. So if you have divided interest, your eye is bad. Well, then how can we have good eyes that would provide light to my whole body? It's this, the eye must be singly devoted and solely fixed on God, unwavering in its gaze and constant in its fixation. And the eye is the heart. The heart must be solely fixed on God. And that will provide light and direction for your life. Now what is ironic as we read through these verses here in verse 23, if your light is bad, if, if, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness. Okay, how can light be darkness? That last part of 23, if the light in you is darkness. It's an irony going on here. What he's saying is, the reality is, is you think you're full of light. But in reality, you're full of darkness. And so the greatest darkness is the person who thinks... They're full of, full of light, but they're not. Their loyalty is divided. 
And so if we are going to have an undivided loyalty, we've got to have a true picture of what reality is about. And the reality is this. This is not our home. Heaven is. In the scripture Micah read for us earlier in Colossians 3, he says, set your eyes on things above where your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, too often our eyes are just fixed on the temporal, on the here and now. And we lose sight of the eternal, the big picture. What is, what is your heart set on? Do you have divided interest? Or do you have an undivided loyalty solely fixed upon God? That's our second metaphor. Last, as we move on and wrap this text up in verse 24, we see one last metaphor. And here's the truth. Worship God wholeheartedly. You see, behind the choice between two treasures and the two visions is something even more fundamental. It's this. It's the basic choice between two masters. Who or what do you worship? Every single one of you worships. We all worship something. The question is, what do you worship? So how do we serve money? He talks in verse, he's talking about serving two masters, and the masters are God or money. How do you serve money? Here's how you serve money. You serve money by planning, dreaming, strategizing, moving in such a way to maximize wealth and what money can provide for you. That's what it means to serve money. What does it mean to serve God? We, God doesn't need anything. So as I serve at P.F. Chang's, I'm bringing you something. When it talks about serving God, God, God owns everything. We're not, we're not giving something to God. But So here's what it means. Serving God is planning, dreaming, strategizing, maneuvering in such a way to maximize our enjoyment of God and what He alone promises for us. It's to maximize enjoyment of God and what He promises for us. So you know what? Every single financial transaction you have is an opportunity to worship Jesus or to worship money. Every financial transaction you have is an opportunity to worship Jesus or to worship money. There's no exception. There's no middle ground. Life is worship. So I'll give one illustration here. Since I'm a server, tipping is one that I just reflect upon. Now in the South, do you know one of the most least favorite days to work as a server? Sunday lunch. Because you've got a bunch of Christians who go to church and they go out to eat and they tip horribly. And it is a bad witness to the gospel. Now, I don't think that is much of a stereotype up here. I don't, I don't work on Sunday. So, but I haven't heard that much from our servers up here. But let me ask you this question. Does your tipping reflect that you worship God or you worship money? I'll give you one example. There's a girl that works at P.F. Chang's. Her name is Sandy. She trained me there about a year ago. One night, she had a table that came in, and their total bill might have been $100, $150. She comes back. She opens it up, $80 tip. Now, 
background about Sammy. Just like the rest, majority of the people in New England, she's not a believer in Jesus. Um, not practicing, basically, as far as I know, any religion. She may have grew up Catholic, but non-practicing, really. Um, so she, she opens this up, $80, and you know what's behind it? A track. A gospel track. Sharing the love of God. Now, does that display or hinder the gospel? I would say it displays the gospel. But often, us as Christians, what we think is, hey, I'm just going to leave the track and I'll throw a few bucks in there. And you know what? That does more to hinder the gospel than it does to display to your server that God is your treasure and not money. That's one As she opened that up, she was blown away. 80 bucks on like 100, 150 dollars. That's, that's what? 200%, I don't know, 50% tip? Something like that? And for, for her, I mean, that's, that's a ton of money. And that left a lasting impression on her about people who love Jesus and tip well. So I'll just challenge you. Hey, we usually encourage you to head out in Medford Square after we worship. But if you're going to go in Medford Square and you're going to represent Redemption Hill, display the gospel and how you tip. We ought to be generous. Be generous and do good. And, and you know what? Tanner introduced these last week. We actually have little invite cards that say on the front, you're invited, and on the back have information about Redemption Hill. You know, one, one of the great ways you could just be a light in our community is when you go out to eat, you interact with a ton, ton of people, your servers, drop this in and invite your service to Redemption Hill. But if you're going to do this, tip them well and be generous and let your actions display what you want them to see, the generosity of God. So as we continue, how do we worship God well with money? Just kind of wrapping up. If, if money, I mean, we're talking about this, how do we worship God well with money? Here are a few truths that I don't want us to finish up with. God owns everything. This is foundational in the Bible. What you have is not yours. It is God's. This is God's creation. He gives, he takes away. So for instance, since God owns everything, he has given us the responsibility to be his money manager. Basically, God said, John, here's some money. I want you to manage it and steward it well. It's up to me to be a good steward. So how has he given us the opportunity to manage? Well, he's given us the opportunity to, to set our own salaries. You may say, set our own salaries? What do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean by that. Just because you receive a certain income doesn't mean that's what you live on may not have even crossed your mind before. So let's say you receive a $50,000 income. Well, that's, what you, that's your salary. That's what you live on. You receive a $200,000. Well, that's what you live on. Well, if God owns it, just because I receive $100,000 or $200,000 doesn't mean that's what I've got to live on. If God owns it, we, whether it's a small or a large portion, we come to God and say, God, how do you want us to steward your money? Let me ask you this. How good of a steward are you being? Randy Alcorn, one of his great principles in the treasure principle, he says this, God, God raises and he prospers us. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Right now, if you were to receive a raise 
of twenty or thirty or forty thousand dollars in the next year. What's going on in your mind? X number of lists that I can buy, that I can save up for? Or can you come to a comfortable, this is good to live on. Me and my family, we're going to live on this. And God, if you give us any more money, I'm going to give it, I'm going to bless it away. I want to store up treasures in heaven. What's your mentality? That's what God, that's His purpose. Not for us to continue and raise and raise our standing of living. There are three things you can do with money. You can spend it, you can save it, and you can give it. Briefly, I'm going to just highlight a few things. As we spend money, do you know what the average family debt, credit card debt is per family? $7,300. And this was probably three or four years old, probably a little higher now. $7,300. Just briefly, do you know why debt is so bad? I mean, you could read the text. It talks a lot about debt. Here's why debt is so bad. Debt is so bad because it limits your ability to give. You cannot give if you are strapped with debt, which in turn draws your heart away from Jesus. If, you, if your money is going to follow what you, if your heart's going to follow what you spend it on, if you're strapped in debt and you can't give, or well, your money is not going to, your heart's not going to follow Jesus. Are you in debt financially? I believe this is an area that many churches do not do well. Let me just share with you, if you're in financial debt as pastors, we want to come along and be a help to you. Let us know. A lot of connection card. Hey, John, man, we are over our heads. We need some wisdom. And if we can't help you, we will find somebody who can't help you to free you up to give the way God wants you to give. Save. Provide for the future. This is actually biblical. Save. Prepare. Do you know what? Prudent preparation can address many finance-related worries. For instance, what about if you lose a job? Well, if you're prudent, about saving up an emergency fund? Follow me here? Well, then that can relieve the worry. Well, if I lose my job, I save up an emergency. It's usually encouraged to save up three to six months of living expenses so that you would have three to six months to find another job. What about a sudden crisis? Again, you've got savings there. It's being prudent. It's not just receiving and spending. What about a spouse's death? Life insurance. Can't afford kids. Let me encourage you this. Some of you are young or want to be married one day. Start young by living off of one income. Live off of the husband's income. Now, I know that is more difficult to do in Boston, one of the most expensive places to live in the U.S. But what young couples usually do, both of them get jobs, they start living off of that income, and then it's very hard to come back down and, and change their standard of living. Can you just live off of one income? That'll help you to provide for kids. And then finally, what can you do with money? You can give. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. It's the only antidote. Usually our question is, how much does God want from me? Now, I don't have time right now. I'd love to sit down with you. Our, our heart usually wants to say, okay, 10%. I'll give my 10%, I'm done with it. Other 90% is mine. Let me tell you something. If, if you... Th- and I'll just say that I don't think 10% is the number for us. In the New Testament, there's no percentage given for how much you ought to give. But let's say 10% was it. Let's say 10% was the number you give that. You know what? God's also concerned about the other 90% because it's all His, not just the 10%. He owns everything. 
So he not just wants to know what you give, he also determines, and you're to be a good steward of what you keep and how you spend it well. Um, so for sake of time, I'm gonna, I've, I've got, there's a great C.S. Lewis quote. We'll, we'll post that on the blog in the upcoming weeks. I'm, I'm going to continue to move on. And there are a number of ways that you can see here that we ought to give. Let me just highlight a few here. Our giving ought to be systematic. Um, our giving ought to be proportional. It's going to be different according to each people. It's according to your own ability. It ought to be sacrificial. Jesus highlights in, in, the, in the Gospels the widow's might. He says, though she gave the smallest her sacrifice was the greatest, and he praised her for it. So some of you are rich, and you give, and you've still got a lot left over. And sacrificially, you really haven't given much. Those of you who are small, you give even greater. It's, let's be sacrificial in our giving. Um, it ought to be intentional, motivated by love, quality, and blessing, cheerful, and voluntary as we wrap up, and this has been a challenging text here, I want to just talk about community for one second. In the church, most of us have a don't ask, don't tell policy when it comes to money. We ask a lot of other questions like, how is your marriage? Have you been spending time in the Word? How are you doing in terms of sexual, sexual purity? Have you been sharing your faith? But how often do we ask... How much are you giving to the Lord? Have you been robbing God? Are you winning the battle against materialism? I want to challenge you guys. In many areas of the church, we open up accountability, but for the most part, we say, don't ask and don't tell. Hey, you don't ask me, I'm not going to tell. And it's like, hey, you don't ask me, I'm not going to ask you. You spend your money, it's a private thing. The goal of community in a local church is not only that we open up sexual purity or our marriage, or it's also, hey, how are we spending our money? Let me ask you this. Do you have people in your life that can come in and ask these questions and encourage you and challenge you to pursue God and fight against materialism? A church that believes, and people in a church, if they believe, if they have a need that the church and the people are going to help meet it, you know what that's going to free them up to do? To give. You will be freed up to give if you know that your, your church, you're committed to, if a need arises, they're going to come around you and they're going to help one another. And then finally, the greatest news of all, why do we give? We give not to earn the favor of God. And all this, what could be deceptive is that, hey, if I store up treasures in heaven, God will accept me. There's no amount of giving that could earn your way into heaven. We give because God has greatly given Jesus to us. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. The good news is that God gave his son, who was perfect, he lived a perfect life. He died a death on a cross that paid the penalty for our sin so that if we would believe, place our faith, trust Him, we would have eternal life. We store up treasures in heaven not only because it's wise, but because God has granted us eternal life. Do you know Jesus? Have you placed your faith in Him to save you for your sins? That is the greatest motivation to give. We don't give out of hypocrisy or out of legalism. 
we give out of great joy and delight. Our question turns its head on itself. It's not, God, how much do you want from me? It's, God, how much can I give? Where is your heart? What is it cherishing? I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to have an opportunity to observe communion today. And the communion is the perfect picture of the generosity of God in giving Christ to us. Heavenly Father, God, many of us are battling materialism. God, we battle this daily. God, we ask that you would help us to believe these truths, not to waste our lives spending money and collecting treasures here, but God, help us to to send it forward. Help us to give in such a way that displays your generosity and that shows the world that money's not our treasure, but you are. God, give us greater delight and satisfaction in you. God, help us to continually remember the gospel and how you gave us Christ and that that would lead us to say, God, I owe you everything because you paid it all. God, stir our hearts for greater generosity and love for you, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.